Welcome to the Ewok Podcast, the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church with Robbie Locke. We're glad you're here, and we hope that this podcast is a blessing to your life and helps you walk closer to God. Our goal is to help you draw close to God and understand Scripture better in its entirety. Well, without further ado, here's Robbie. Isn't it wonderful to know today that you are a child of God, that you are saved? You know, last Sunday morning after the service was over, it's a young woman that has visited our church uh, just a couple of Sundays. Her dad came to know the Lord about three months ago as his Savior, and she came to see him on the weekend. Her dad is, has, is uh, struggling with pancreatic cancer, is being treated for that. And uh, his daughter, uh, Ellen, has come the last couple of weeks. Last week, after hearing this first message two weeks ago, the Lord began to work in her heart. And uh, she told me that when she was just a little girl, I guess just in kindergarten, she went to the Christian school at Wayside in, is that Turner? And, and uh, I live in, well, that, you, you know, all know where, Wayside Bible Baptist Church. But she said she only went that one year, and then she has never been in church from that time until this in her life. And she came to me before my, the message, uh, before the service, last Sunday morning, and she says, I really need to talk to you after the service. I said, no problem, we'll do that. So we sat down, and I had been speaking last week about the need to get the gospel out to the world because so many are dying and going into eternity and so on. And I tell you what, she rushed right up there at the end, and we sat down and explained the plan of salvation to her, and and Ellen received Christ as her Savior last Sunday morning. So we were just rejoicing that God is, is using his word to bring people to himself. You know, that's why we exist, or it's certainly one of the main reasons we exist, is to see people saved. So I encourage you folks, invite friends and family and neighbors and co-workers and schoolmates, if you have them, invite them to come. You never know when someone might come. She lives quite a distance from here, so it's not always easy for her to come, but she's hoping to be coming to our church, and so pray for Ellen for her spiritual growth and for her dad, Jack, as well, who is recently a believer. All right, uh, I, it's just wonderful to say, I know I am a child of God right now. Not someday, right now. Second thing I want you to see in the notes here is that God's children are certain of the future. Are you certain about the future? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Well, that's part of being a child of God. Amen. I want you to look with me at uh, uh, some scriptures here. Got to get my bulletin out of the way. Let me just read this statement by James Boyce. I thought this was uh, really to the point. He said, God did not bring children into spiritual life to thereafter abandon them and let them go to hell. He brought them into life in order to make them completely like Jesus and to take them with him into heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad God, God's not going to lose you along the way? Aren't you glad God's not going to kick you out on the way? I don't know about you, I deserve to be kicked out. I do. I'm a sinner. But thank God his salvation is eternal. Jesus said in John 14, 3, one of the most familiar verses in the Bible, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be always. We have the assurance of being with him 
and being like him. So let's just look very quickly at some of the points here. First of all, children of God will be like Christ. Heaven is attractive for believers because they will not only see Jesus. I mean, it's going to be wonderful that first moment I see him face to face. That's going to be great. But we won't just see the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we will become like him. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be God. We'll never be God. But what it means, we will be like him in character and conduct. And the wonderful thing about heaven is that we will never, ever sin again. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what end? To be conformed to the image of of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is building a family, and he sent his one and only unique son to be the savior so that he might bring many other sons and daughters into his family. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 suggests that not only will our character and our conduct change, but our bodies will change as well. Amen? For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Have you found out that you have a lowly body? <laughs> boy, oh boy, sickness can come on awfully quick, can't it? Just in a few moments, we can go from feeling okay to feeling miserable. We can have major catastrophes take place physically in our bodies all in a moment's time. But one day, our lowly bodies will be transformed. Why? That it may be conformed to his glorious body. We're going to have a glorified body one day, like unto the body of the Lord Jesus. Another passage that we often hear, but honestly, I've only ever heard this passage preached on at funerals. <laughs> But listen to this, 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, that is, these physical bodies, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That's good news. That means these bodies we have now can't go to heaven. Not in the condition they're in. They have to be transformed. They have to be glorified first. Then he says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning we will not all die physically, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. What a glorious, glorious thing to look forward to. That transformation will make the redeemed perfectly holy and righteous with a, listen, pure capacity to worship and glorify God in a totally satisfying, joyful, undiminished fashion forever. Oh, I love that. I love that. Let me say it again. 
That transformation will make the redeemed perfectly holy and righteous with a pure capacity to worship and glorify God in a totally satisfying, joyful, undiminished fashion forever. You want to hear what that sounds like? Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. Now let me just comment and say, there are different points of view on who the elders represent. Some think the elders, because there's 24 of them, represent Old Testament and New Testament saints, that 12 representing the, the, the patriarchs of the Old Testament, 12 representing the apostles of the New Testament, and so that means the believers of all ages. Some think the elders are just the church, the true church of Christ. I don't know. I've always felt that it was all the saints of all the ages. That's what I believe he's referring to. But he says the angels, the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was, listen, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. You know what that means? A whole lot of people <laughs> and a whole lot of angels. And they say with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. That's what we look forward to. Being a part of that great choir singing praises to Almighty God. So we will see the Lord in all of his glory. I want you to notice with me, sorry, we will see the Lord face to face. But notice we will also see him in all his glory. One of the verses that is often familiar to us because of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? They shall see God. No, we're not pure because we're sinless. <laughs> we're pure because we've been made pure through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Aren't you looking forward to seeing Jesus in all his glory? Revelation 22, 4 says, They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Boy, I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be cool, huh? We're going to see him, see his face. Lastly, they will be with Christ forever. I, I love the way 1 Thessalonians 4 finishes up. After it describes the rapture, the coming of the Lord, the dead in Christ rising first, then it says this, Then we who are alive and remain, that's going to be us, right? We hope. Right? You do hope, right? At least, at least we can hope, right? We know that if we're dead, we'll be raised. But I just soon not die. Just soon live and be trained, transformed, changed forever. But he says here, those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, that is, the dead in Christ who have risen from their graves, to meet the Lord in the air. And this is how it ends. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Folks, 
Our future is certain. We know what lies ahead. We've already read the last chapter of the book, and God wins, amen? And we win with him. So we as children of God, we have a future that is absolutely certain. We know now we are children, and we always will be like him and with him forever. Number three, I want you to see here that children of God have a purifying hope. A purifying hope. It says, and everyone who has this hope, what is that hope? Seeing him, being like him, and being with him forever. That's the hope we have. He that hath this hope, what? In him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, this purification is the practical process of sanctification in the life of the believer, whereby we step by step, level by level, glory to glory, are becoming more and more like Jesus in our daily Christian lives. The hope of seeing Christ and being transformed into his image in the future is a purifying motivation for the believer now. Listen, if you know you're going to see him, don't you want to please him when you see him? Well, he said his will for us is that we be as much like him as we can possibly be like him when he comes. It is a process of spiritual growth and transformation into the image of Christ. The true Christian wants to live in such a way that his conduct pleases God now and also at the tribunal of Jesus Christ. The hope of Christ's return makes a practical difference in the lifestyle and behavior of believers. When this hope is fixed on Christ, it produces a growing desire to become like him now. You see, we have to ask ourselves today, do we really want to be like Jesus? Do we really want to change? Do we really want to leave the things of the flesh, the things of the world behind us? Do we really want Christ to be formed in us? Now, it's easy in a moment's time to shake our head and say yes, but how did you do this last week? <laughs> did you move closer into conformity to Christ? Did you find yourself obeying more than disobeying? Did you find yourself being kind more then you are less kind in moments, maybe? Did you find yourself in ways being more like Jesus in dealing with people and dealing with circumstances than you have in the past? It's a process that needs to be going on. Listen to this very striking text in 1 Timothy 5.22. It says, Do not share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. You know what, sometimes we decide what we're going to do based upon what other people are doing. We don't say, well, brother so-and-so does it. He and his family do. I mean, the pastor does it, so it must be okay, right, if the preacher does it. I want to tell you something, folks. There's only one perfect example, and that's Jesus. But we need to keep ourselves pure and not share in other people's sins. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, that means by believing the gospel and being saved, you've purified your souls through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, then it says this, Love one another fervently. But it doesn't stop there. 
love one another fervently with a pure heart. There is love that is pure and there is love that is impure. And I'm not just talking about sexual immorality. I'm talking about the fact that sometimes we love in an impure way by loving others so they will love us. The way God loves is He loves even when the ones He loves don't love back. He still loves because that's what God is like. And when He's talking about this immense love of God, it's the agape love. It's not the phileo human kind of love. It's the divine love. And He says, if you love like God does, then you will love others fervently, but your motivations in loving will be pure. You don't do nice things for people so they'll do nice things for you. You just do nice things for people so God is glorified. That's the ultimate purpose and motivation we ought to have. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will listen. Both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. In other words, he's saying one day, not only what you have done is going to be known, but the motivations behind your actions will be known as well. And God says if we are going to be pure, we need to be pure not only in action, we need to be pure in our motivation. I put this in my notes. Jesus is the goal of the child of God's life. Jesus is the goal. So I want to ask myself, am I like him? And am I following him with increasing diligence and fervor? That is what I need to do. Those who are abiding in Christ, manifesting righteousness, gratefully recognizing God's love toward them, being increasingly conformed to Christ's image, and pursuing lives of purity can be confident that they have a hope that will not disappoint. Because of these realities existing in our lives, it gives us that sense of hope. And I can say today, I'm not perfect, but I'm thankful that I'm farther along in my Christian life now than I was years ago. I'm progressing, you're progressing, and when you see that, you say, man, the hope is real, and one day God's going to finish the job. God's going to finish the job, and he's going to make me fully like Jesus. Now, there's one more thing I want us to see this morning. And beginning in verse 4, down through verse 6, we learn this about the children of God. Children of God do not practice sin. Now, the key word there is the word practice. Because we know that we all sin, right? We all sin. Now, there are three things I want you to see about sin. First of all, the definition of sin. We see that definition of verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits what? Lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know what sin is? One of the definitions of sin in the Bible is any time you and I break any of the laws of God. When God says do it and we don't do it, we've broken the law. When God says don't do it and we do it, we've broken the law of God. And in this context, he's defining sin as breaking the law. But it's not just breaking the law out of ignorance. In fact, this particular word is translated in other places, wickedness. And it has to do with a rebellion of heart. It has to do with someone who not out of ignorance, but out of rebellion, intentionally breaks the law of God. 
Now, most of us would probably sit here and say, well, I, I mean, I don't intentionally do it. I mean, I, I mess up now and again, but I, I, don't, I don't plan to sin. I want to ask you something. Have you ever in your life been sitting, pondering in your mind whether you're going to do it or not before you've done it? And you're sitting there and you're thinking about it. Or maybe it's been going in and out of your mind, maybe that temptation for a period of time, and you've allowed yourself to think about that? I think all of us have done that at some point or other. We realize, you know, I mean, have you ever anticipated having an, a conversation with someone who said something to you that offended you? Have you ever thought in your side, and you know what, if they say something again, I'm going to put them right in their place. I'm going to take care of that person. I mean, do we, do we or is it the, I guess the preacher is the only sinner in the place, but you know, you know what, folks, I, I think sometimes we do know ahead of time at least the potential for sin, and we know we shouldn't do it, but if we get to the moment and we end up doing it, we have not sinned out of ignorance. There's a difference between falling into sin in a moment of temptation that you did not anticipate and did not expect, and in that moment you fall. That's different than thinking about something ahead of time. Do you know what, folks? I want to tell you, most people don't fall into adultery. They plan on it. They plan on it. They choose it. Right? It's true. You know, that first time you stand at the water cooler and have that conversation with the pretty secretary. Seems all innocent in the moment, but you feel a little tingle, you know. And then you just let things go. And then the next time you meet at the water cooler and, and it's, it's tingled twice, you know. But, but you're good. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to be faithful to my wife. I'm, I'm going to be good. Well, the next thing you do, you're, you're sitting together at the break. And you're talking, and you begin talking about one another's lives. And you know what often happens? People begin talking about their spouse. All the bad things about their spouse. And, oh, I, you know, just, just so they'll encourage me, you know. Yeah, sure. Before long, the couple is talking about how bad their spouses are, and they're kind of looking kind of good to one another. And then before long, it leads to, and it leads to, and it leads to, and then down the road, they find themselves in bed, having broken their marriage vows. I want to tell you something, that, that's the way sin works an awful lot of the time. We allow sin to conceive, and when sin conceives, it brings, temptation to conceive, sorry, and when temptation conceives, it brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. This definition, definition of sin reminds us that we are prone to break God's law, and we need to be watching carefully so we don't fall into sin, but rather we prepare ourselves so that when the moment comes, we're already ready. You know how you do that? You don't have the first conversation at the water cooler. Or if you do, you cut it off there and say, never again. I mean, that's just one example. You can go into many, many different areas of life. So the definition of sin is breaking God's law, but intentionally. It's an act of rebellion against God. Secondly, notice the practice of sin, verse 6. Whoever abides in him, that is, abides in Christ, does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, the word I want you to notice here is the word abide. I'm not talking about abiding in sin. It's abiding in him, abiding in Christ. Listen, I want to ask you something. 
When are you more likely to have victory over temptation? When you are intimately close to the Lord Jesus or when you're far from him? It's when we're far from him, right? It's when we're not reading the word, we're not praying like we ought to, and not going to church like we ought to, and not using our gifts like we ought to, and not witnessing like we ought to. It's when we're not doing what we ought to do that we are going to have more temptation to sin. And he says, listen, if you abide in Jesus, if you have that intimate abiding, remaining in Christ, you're staying very close to him. When the temptation comes, you're going to say, Jesus looks better than that temptation does. I choose Jesus over lust. I choose Jesus over lying. Because he has become so precious to us. And so what he's saying is, when you are abiding, are maintaining a close, intimate relationship with Jesus, sin comes along and you say, no way. No way. I'm not willing to give up what I have with Jesus right now, that fellowship, that intimacy. I'm not willing to do that for the sake of sin. Now, back up just a little bit. I want you to notice, it says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. That is, in the Lord Jesus there is no sin. Look at verse 7. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who what? Practices righteousness. That means someone who lives in righteousness as a way of life. It doesn't mean they're perfect. But what it means is they're seeking to live daily in righteousness before God and to please Him. He says, if you practice righteousness, you are righteous, just as He is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil is sin from the beginning. For this purpose the Son was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not, and again, the idea, He does not practice sin. He doesn't live continually in sin. He doesn't persist in a rebellion against God. I don't know about you, but when I get off the track, the Spirit of God will not leave me alone until I get right. Sometimes it's almost to the point of torment it feels. If I am, I'm being hard-hearted and I'm persisting in that attitude or that action, the Spirit of God will come and He will speak to me so harshly. He does. Sometimes, you know, the, the, the Bible says God knows how to whisper. But when we don't listen to whispers, God knows how to shout. And I believe the Holy Spirit knows how to shout. If you know the Lord and you are living persistently in sin and you really are a Christian, you have to be the most miserable person on the planet because the Spirit will not let you alone. So he's saying here, that the practice of sin is what is ruled out. It's not that a Christian cannot sin. John made it clear that a Christian could sin back in chapter 1 when he said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So he's making it clear that we all sin. But there's a difference between pursuing righteousness and occasionally falling or pursuing wickedness and occasionally doing the right thing. Big difference. Here John speaks of the continual practice of sin. The word is persistence in sinful behavior. He who has entered into a personal relationship with God does not want to continue living as he used to live in his unbelieving rebellion. There are moments when I am struggling still even to just overcome a particular area of temptation 
But one of the things that blesses me is that even, even though I, I haven't fully come to victory, in my heart, there's always this desire to be right with God. I, I want to get it right. I, I may be struggling, right, to let go of something or, or to do something the right way, but, but in the midst of that struggle with the temptation and the struggle with the sin, there is this, there is this just heart's cry saying, Oh God, I want to be right. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't, I don't want to be... Do you like being in bondage to anything? See, I don't like bondage. I don't like bondage. I, 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 don't, like, I don't like, you know, food controlling me. That, that's one of my biggest areas is food. You know, I, I've been working really, really hard. I'm, I'm, I'm losing weight again, you know. And, and since I started this about, what, a year and a half ago, I told you all I was going to start. I've lost 61 pounds. You know, and that's, that's great. Praise the Lord. I'm, you know, that's like a bucket in the ocean, but that's all right. You know, I'm, I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep trying to lose. But I tell you what, I have ups and downs, and I'll have periods where I do really good, and then I'll have a time when, when all I have to do is just see, just smell something, and it'll drive me crazy. And it, it's such, I don't like being dominated by an inanimate object. I remember hearing uh, Jack Hiles preach one year. He was talking about the, the preacher. And it was a conference for pastors, so the preaching was toward the pastors. And, and, and he's, he's like this crazy guy for illustrations, right? And he said, so he, he started like he was at, a, at, a, at a, uh, a fight, right? And he says, in this corner, the man of God. And he goes on and describes the pastor and all the things he's supposed to be like, right? He says, and in this corner, a piece of lemon meringue pie. It's a knockout in the first round and the pie won. <laughs> I don't like being dominated like that. I really don't. I don't want to be dominated. I want Christ to dominate me. I want to be the slave of righteousness, not the slave of sin. And that's what the Lord wants for us. The Christian has been freed from the bondage of sin and no longer wants to be dominated by it. Listen, if you want to be dominated by sin, you'd better ask yourself if you're really saved. But if you want to be set free from sin, that's a good indication. You know the Lord is your Savior. Romans 6, 17 and 18 says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That's the gospel. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's what I want to be. I want to be captivated by righteousness every day. Amen. To practice sin is to sin consistently as a way of life. And no true Christian lives in sin as a way of life. Do I have proof of that? Look at verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins, he's talking about practicing sin. Whoever practices sin has neither seen him nor known him. That's not me talking. That's the Apostle John. If your whole life is about sin and you are being dominated by sin and this is persistent and ongoing and rebellion is in your heart, you have a good reason to question as to whether you're truly a child of God. But when you want to live in righteousness and you want to be dominated by the Spirit of God, you want to be controlled by Him, you want to please God Almighty, 
then you have a good indication within your own heart in the testimony of the Spirit with our spirit that we are children of God. The last thing I want you to just notice that the reason we cannot persist in sin is because of the incompatibility of sin. The incompatibility of sin, verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So the question is this. Why does a true Christian not practice sin? Why do they not live continually in sin? It's because sin is incompatible with the work of Jesus Christ. He did not save us so we could sin and get away with it. He saved us so we could be delivered from sin and cease to do it. You see that in verse 5? And you know that he was manifested, that as Christ came, he was incarnated in the world to what? To not just forgive our sins, but to what? Take away our sins. And in him is no sin. I mean, that's important because he has to be sinless. He has to be perfect or he can't be our savior. He can't deliver us from sin if sin dominates him. But it says here, he came to take away our sins. The word take away here uh, has the idea of lifting something off of somebody. Lifting it off of them. For John 1.29, this is where the exact same word appears. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who what? who takes away the sin of the world. You know what Jesus did on the cross? He lifted our sins off of us and put them onto himself. Now, if he took them off of you and put them onto himself and paid the penalty for them, is there any possibility that he wants you to go back to living in the same sins that he had to die to take care of? Absolutely not. There's no way. After giving a long list of sinful people and activities, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says this, and such were some of you. I mean, he gives this list of, you know, uh, uh, um, murderers and adulterers and, and uh, sodomites and all kinds of things. He's got this long list. And then he says, and such were, 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 past tense. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He says, he washed them all away. He set you apart from your sin. He declared you righteous as if you had never sinned. And thank God, the Spirit dwells in us now to help us to overcome sin. So Christ came not only to pay the penalty of sin. For a lot of people, that's all they want. They want someone to pay the penalty of their sin so they won't go to hell. The problem is, he doesn't come just to pay the penalty of sin. He comes to take sins away. As a result, Christ's substitutionary atonement on the cross, because of that, believers have been set apart from sin unto holiness. Now, I, I ask you this sobering question because I don't have a good answer for this one myself <laughs> here's the question are you holy I mean think about that word and what it means for God that means that he's absolutely perfect without sin we certainly are not holy in that sense in our practical lives we are positionally holy 
but practically we're not, and I'm talking about the practical life. We're talking here about not living in sin and persisting in sin. So my question is, are we holy? Well, we should be being more holy all the time, but we're not holy like we ought to be holy. Listen to God's purpose and plan for you and me. Very familiar verses, Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God called you and I to holiness, to be without blame, and he is going to make sure that happens completely one day. He destined you to holiness. That's where our confidence comes, not in our ability to be holy, but in the fact that he's going to work with us to help us become more and more holy, but one day he's going to complete the job. And he will do that perfect work. Brethren, we've been called to holiness. We've not been called to worldliness. We've not been called to sinfulness. We've been called to holiness, to godliness, to righteousness, to purity. And I want you to notice that because of the atoning work of Christ, the lawlessness that once characterized the life of the child of God, that lawlessness has been removed as a principle. In other words, your old man, your old sinful human nature cannot dominate you unless you allow it to do so. The scripture says, and sin will not have dominion over you. That's what it says. Does it dominate me sometimes? Yes, because I allow it to. Because I don't appropriate the grace of God that is needed to overcome the temptation. It's like having the headache, having the bottle of pills, but never taking one. I have the solution, but I don't appropriate. And so I need to think about that. How am I going to be holy in my life? I must make choices. And the choices are that I will not sin with God's help. That's how I need to wake up every morning. I need to wake up saying, God, today, no rebellion, Lord. No lawlessness today. No sin today, Lord. Help me to live in holiness today. And I'm dependent upon your spirit, the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, to make me more like Jesus. Take me, Lord, from one degree of glory to another. That's what that verse means. From one level of glory to another. It's a constant progress. It's slow, but it's ever upward. It's ever upward. And we need to be allowing God to do that work in our lives today. To live sinfully is contrary to the work that Jesus did to break the dominion of sin in the believer's life. So, you and I do not have any allowance from God to sin. And when we do, we ought to be brokenhearted about it. Your sin should tear you apart. You want to know why? And I'm reminded of the words of King David, who not only sinned against Bathsheba and sinned against Uriah and sinned against the whole nation of Israel, but when he was writing his psalm of confession to God, he said this, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this wickedness in your sight. When you and I sin, we sin first against 
God. He is offended first. Others may be offended afterwards, but he is offended first because he's holy. And brethren, we have been called by God to lawlessness. I'm sorry, to... to <laughs> boy, that didn't come out. Devil's after me! No. We have been called to righteousness, not lawlessness. May God help us. May God help us. Brethren, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I, I've got a couple more points here, and we'll pick them up next week, about things that a child of God has, a child of God knows. But, but I just want to close again today with that wonderful thought, brethren. It is the, the matchless love of God that makes it possible for you and me to be his children today. We've given him lots of reasons to not want us, but he loves us anyway. Thank God. Thank God that's true. Let's just bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God today. We thank you for what we have learned about being a child of God, that we know now we're children, that our future is absolutely secure. We not only are children now, we will always be children. We also have a purifying hope. One day we're going to be completely and totally transformed into the image of Christ. We will have a glorified character and conduct, and we will have a glorified body. And we will live with you in heaven forever. And Lord, right now, in the here and now, you have given us the power over sin that once dominated us. We who were slaves to sin are now, by the grace of God, slaves to righteousness. And Lord, with your help every day, we can overcome temptation. We can live victoriously. We can live for your glory. We can be made more like Jesus in the way we talk, the way we think, the way we act. Oh God, may this be a reality in our lives each day. Thank you for your precious word today. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon today and tune in next week for another sermon in from this passage. If you'd like to contact us, send us an email and we will get back to you as soon as we can. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day.